0: I'm pleased you bent the knee to our Queen. I would have advised it, had you asked.
1: But have you ever considered learning how to lie every now and then? Just a bit? I'm not going to swear an oath I can't uphold. Talk about my father if you want. Tell me that's the attitude that got him killed. But when enough people make false promises, words stop meaning anything then there are no more answers, only better and better lies. And lies won't help us in this fight. Winter is coming.
0: You're listening to The Watchers of Westeros.
1: I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win you die fire cannot kill a dragon a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep
0: you've also heard the phrase "A Lannister always pays his
1: debt for the night is dark and full of terror what good is power if you cannot protect ones you love
0: we can avenge them. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Watchers of Westeros the Game of Thrones podcast. We are here to discuss the season seven finale. This is the last season finale. This is the last season finale. I mean, yes, there's another season, but the, the last episode of that will be the series finale. This is just the last season finale. This is the last time where we are going to discuss an episode that ends a season from here on out it's it's just uh it's it's the end game this is this is it this is the last time we get to to talk about a season finale and uh what a season finale it was lots and lots of interesting stuff happening not the least of which the wall has fallen i think we predicted this at the beginning of the season but down came the wall the night king uh, back is uh, uh is a um, ice dragon i don't know if, if that's the right word to right word for it the uh the corpse of uh Viserion now reanimated as a White Walker dragon burning what the wall? Tormund and Barrick. Are they alive? Did they did they make it off the wall? We'll we'll have to talk about that. Plus, the death of Littlefinger, the truth about Jon Snow, or should we call him Aegon Targaryen? Uh Death of Littlefinger. Gone. At last, finally. (laughs) Um uh, and uh Oh so many things happened in King's Landing. Uh that finally winter has come to King's Landing. Jamie has left Cersei. Cersei is bringing, has, bluffed her way out of uh, into into. She's just convinced. Uh, she's tricked Danny and John or Aegon. I don't know what we're supposed to call them now. Into thinking she's going to help them, but really. She's got her own machinations, uh, and then something happened with Theon. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so, many, so many things to get into on this episode. But first, introductions are in order. If you're new to the show or you've forgotten who we are, that can happen. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and co-host, Kieran Duggan.
1: Hello, hello again, everybody. And I have to say, when you were listing all of the things that have happened in this episode, I think you best described it last week as it's like a mini-movie. I mean, this, the runtime itself was, was as long as a movie.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and it feels like, in a way, you could almost just have it as a package on its own. Uh, I know it's a season finale, but so much happened in here. And, and I think a lot of fans were satisfied with, with this particular episode, as, as I think most fans have been with, with Game of Thrones season finales. It's usually very difficult to top the, the penultimate episode, I think, is, is what like when you go back to Red Wedding in season three, how would you really top that? You can't necessarily, but I feel like in the later seasons, I would argue that maybe the finale has been better than the penultimate episodes. And I think, I think this season would probably, uh, I would probably follow along those lines. Really. I thought it was a great finale. So much happened and I can't wait to chat all about it. And, uh, and shed a tear for one of my favorite characters who passed away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, poor little finger. Poor little finger, the ki- conniving <laughs> bastard. Um and uh yeah, so let's let's uh let's start uh with just initial impressions of season seven, episode seven, The Dragon and the Wolf. Uh overall, what did you think of this episode, Kieran?
1: Excellent episode. I, I, I... I think there was a, a lot of expectation actually going into this episode of, of, of particularly the, the reunion, I guess, of a lot of characters who haven't actually seen each other uh, with, with this whole meeting um, between Cersei, uh, John and Daenerys' forces all together coming come for this big meeting about, uh, How to deal with with the White Walkers, really, and to to, to try and prove to Cersei that the White Walkers are real. First of all, uh, they're a threat, and they need to be dealt with. It's not about the war between the, the kingdoms; it's about uniting together and fighting the White Walkers. But within that, there are just so many character moments that we're all looking forward to seeing, and I think we get a lot of payoff in this episode. And um, thinking in particular the relationship with, between the Lannisters themselves with Tyrion and Cersei and the moments like that, but then you also had the smaller ones with the likes of Podrick and Tyrion coming back together, the the Hound and the Mountain meeting, Brienne and Jamie having a brief moment, Theon and Neuron Greyjoy. All of these smaller moments were also, oh, they were just, I think, I think they were, were perfectly executed, and, and I think it. it oh, Looking at the behind the scenes for that particular scene, it was very, it was very challenging. It seemed to be able to give everybody the sort of screen time they needed, but also um, you know, progressing the story along as well. And there were mm-hmm. so many main players all in one particular spot. But that, to me, was sort of the the linchpin of this episode. And then there was the other stuff that happened in Winterfell was was I 4 Although I mentioned I was saddened about a certain character's death, I actually think that that was a great great way to round off that story in the north, and then you'd also had the, the, the Theon stuff as well, with him now seemingly looking to 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 take control of the Iron Islands perhaps, um, and then and then for me actually one of the best moments in this episode is the is the interaction between Jamie and Cersei. Mm. And, uh, at the end there, when Jamie walks away, and, and that for me is one of the the fist pump moments of the season because at, at a certain point in that scene, it looked like it was going to be a big downer moment. Actually, <laughs> but somehow managed to turn it around in classic Game of Thrones fashion. And that's not even mentioning the finale bit then with, with the big reveal of uh, of not only the wall coming down but the whole John and Danny yeah uh, uh, reveal. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when I'm thinking about it now, I feel like I was listening what you just said at the beginning. But that so much has happened, really. Uh-huh. that it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to talk about. So I hope I haven't ruined it all for you, there, Dominic. No, but what no, are no. Impressions of, of of this particular episode. What was a striking moment for you, perhaps?
0: Yeah, I, I think when I when the episode ended for the after I watched it the first time, I didn't really know how to feel. You know, like I, I kind of. I don't know if the episode was a little bit overhyped or if, if so many things had been predicted or, or, or what have you, like with the wall coming down, um, and, and, you know, the reveal of, of, of John's, the second reveal of John's true parents. Uh, I, I thought it was, uh, all of that was interesting, but, I I don't know. I was hope. I think at 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 the time I was really hoping for maybe one more big twist. Whether that was a, another death, whether that was Jamie or Cersei or somebody. Uh, but it didn't go that way. It didn't go that way. And and on on the second viewing when I didn't have those expectations, I think I enjoyed it a lot more. And I I really have to kind of commend, uh, the showrunners for this episode because, you know, this season has so much of this season has been about. The spectacle and, and the incredible visuals, whether it was the uh, uh, Euron attacking uh, the Greyjoys and and the and the Sand Snakes early, uh, early on in the season, and then we had Danny burning the Lannister forces in that other incredible sequence, and then last week we had the the sort of, uh, magnificent seven beyond the wall with the, with John and his, his crew facing off with the whites and the white walkers. Uh, and then so, so this season has been so much about the big spec, spectacular visuals in a way that I was kind of expecting there to be that moment in this episode, but there wasn't this. This episode was in a way, it was a kind of a return to what Game of Thrones actually is most of the time, which is a political drama you know this wasn't it wasn't about the the dragons although we did get that great moment of of Danny uh showing up late on her dragon to the uh to the meeting and and you had to know as soon as she wasn't there with everybody else you had to know that was coming but it was still a good a, a good move uh, or a good moment by the show a, 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 but instead it was this big political debate and and it was characters talking and interacting and it, it wasn't about Blowing up the sept or burning people with dragons or having 50 horses on set running at each other, uh, while they shot the battle of the bastards. It was a negotiation. And in a way, it was, it, it, that's kind of what Game of Thrones was in the, especially in the early seasons. And this really felt like a return to that. Even though, you know, I think next season, again, there's going to be a real emphasis on the visuals just because of what, what happens at the end of this episode. Uh, but it, 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 in that way, it was a really, really solid episode. So, uh, let's start in King's Landing with this big negotiation. And let's, uh, let's start with John. Start with John. Um, and we're still going to call him that for, for now. <laughs> Unless the character starts calling himself Aegon, I think we'll keep calling him John. Uh, so he, sort of at the pinnacle of these discussions, he has the moment. Where, uh, Cersei says she will accept the truce with B- Danny and John because they've showed her the white. They, she knows she every, everybody's been scared by this, and but the the one condition of her truce is that John cannot take up arms against her or the crown. He can't fight in the war, and John says he can't make that promise because he has sworn his loyalty to Danny and uh and uh and her cause and that results in cersei getting up and the leaving and Tyrion has says the line to john you know have you ever considered learning how to lie and and john has the great moment where he talks about if everybody lies then words mean nothing and it doesn't be the truth doesn't matter it's just who can lie better uh what did you make of of, of this moment of of john's uh john's critical decision uh in this in this episode,
1: I I loved it. I I supported him all the way with it. To be honest, I know Tyrion and Danny are looking at it maybe from a political point of view, and uh, well, not just political point of view, I guess, because they realise that they, having Cersei on board is going to be crucial to their particular plans. But isn't this what Jon's all about? Isn't that his personality, though? He is. Perhaps some people would say he's foolish, but one of the reasons that fans are so endeared to his character is because he is as honourable as, well, not his father as we now know, <laughs> but of his relative, yeah. Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody that John's always admired and somebody who we've always admired is Ned Stark, and, and I think John really has followed that. And although it, we are going to then be concerned, thinking, well, does that mean that John's fate will be dissimilar? similar to Ned Stark. Well, I think their character trajectories took different paths. In the in the first instance, that John came back to life after he was killed because that was uh, – you, know, you could argue that one of the reasons that he was killed as Lord Commander was because of that sort of philosophy that he had. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think in this instance, he has just pledged his services – so, so quote-unquote, as people keep calling it here, bent the knee – figuratively at least to Mm. to daenerys and would it not be seen as a bit of a betrayal to then just say oh yeah we'll go along with cersei and and he makes a good point of well what words do you trust then if if you just continue to lie and i and i I, and i think in that regard i sort of backs john a little bit here Mm. and he was being forced into making that agreement really because of in a way, I still think it was Cersei could, could have budged a little bit more than she did mm-hmm. um, because she's still all about what happens after this. She, it's a little bit when we're talking about little thing earlier in the season when he was like, well, the dead could defeat the living, in which case all our you know, troubles come to an end or life will win out. And I think that's the sort of philosophy that Cersei's looking at, which is, yeah, you know, life's going to win out. What happens then? She's all about what happens after that. and And, and I think that's why... Uh, John got pushed into that particular position, so for me personally, I back John all the way. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the foolhardy person of me. What, what, was your, what was your take on on that particular scene?
0: I agree with you. I'm I, I really, I, I back John on on that decision. Um, one because we know that Cersei probably would have betrayed them anyways. I mean, that's what she does later. You know, Tyrion goes to her and they and they have their their big showdown, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but She comes back after that after a conversation with Tyrion and says, "I will support you in this in this war," um, and then we find out later that no, no, she's not actually going to send her troops north. She's going to let uh John and Danny fight the white the White Walkers on their own and then deal with whoever wins that fight. Um, and so there's a good chance even if she had have agreed to Danny's truce, she probably wouldn't have upheld it. She probably would have gone and, and taken taken lands uh because that's that's her nature that's her character so in that sense you know even though there's that real feeling of defeat at the end of that scene you know uh Tyrion says you know we're fucked this is all that this is this, this was this this was their one big hope um and so, so there's, so, yeah, they're feeling defeated, but odds are, even if Cersei, if they had have agreed, even if John had have agreed, then really Cersei was lying to begin with anyways, so it all would have just sort of continued as John sort of predicted. But what I do like about, about this and this, this, this speech that John gives is that it actually fits in quite well with Danny and Tyrion's stated goal which is to break the wheel and build this new society that is not the not like what we've seen for seven seasons of game of thrones it's it's a it's it's a better society a a society where there is you know peace and and prosperity and they've broke where they would break the wheel and and in a way it's kind of ironic that you know, the two people who are first to criticize John for making this decision are Tyrion and Danny because we just had, we just watched them last episode, have a conversation about what does it mean to break the wheel? And John lying to Cersei in that scene would have just continued the wheel spinning. Uh And so I, I that I think was a really, um a really important scene. And, and, you know, it's a, a, a there's a little behind the scenes tidbit on that scene. Um, uh Liam Cunningham, who plays Davos, was interviewed by variety and he revealed that they actually shot uh that scene the day after the u s election and uh so there was a there might have been a little bit uh a little extra oomph behind the words that uh Kit Harrington was speaking there in light of uh what had happened in the, in that uh, back in november uh so yeah, so I I I'm fully on board with Jon Snow, like you, well, like it, you.
1: It, the other minor thing with that as well is I'm sure by the time Jon was speaking, Euron Greyjoy had left the meeting, had he not? Which would have meant that Cersei's yeah. plan was already in action, regardless of what Jon was going to say. Yeah, and because was going to go and pick up the forces. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, which I, you know, I get that you know it, it Cersei is the ultimate schemer and, and all of that. The fact that that Euron leaving was all a ploy, I kind of liked the scene better when it was just Euron actually being scared of the White Walkers. I thought that was a really cool moment. And, and then when it's revealed later, no, no, he's going to pick up the Golden Company. It was sort of like, ah, oh, that, uh, that that kind of took away from, kind of took away from that that earlier moment of seeing this guy who is insane. Like, let's be real about Euron; he is insane. Uh, and he's, like you said, he's been all over the world. He's seen all these incredible things. And this is the first thing that terrifies him. I thought that was the, that was a pretty powerful moment to have him basically walk out like that. Um, but yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way that it, it actually showed that no, Cersei's plan was already in effect. So even even if john had have lied it it wouldn't it wouldn't have helped anybody they would have all walked away from that meeting feeling good and then realized probably by let's say season eight episode two that uh things hadn't worked out the way they'd hoped um let's uh let's go to Cersei next. uh and really uh well first off uh, I know Game of Thrones isn't eligible for the Emmys this year because of when the episodes aired. Uh, but next year or whenever it's next eligible for Emmys, uh, Lena Headey needs an mm-hmm. Emmy because that was one hell of a performance. She managed to, uh, convey, you know, this sort of like the Cersei sort of stuck up, powerful, um, you know, powerful get always angry, never happy. And yet, even in the moments when she was scared, she managed to maintain that sort of quintessential Uh and, and and in a way that you can tell there's a lot of pain behind her actions. It's not just to uh, use to use this kind of ridiculous phrase, but it's not just resting bitch face. It's like actual. You can see that there's actual pain behind her constant scowl. So uh, yeah, really, uh, Lena Headey needs an Emmy. For uh, this episode. But uh, let's let's talk about. What Cersei actually d- does. In this episode. Because she clearly. Believes in the threat. That's not the question anymore. But she doesn't. She doesn't want to be a team player. Should we be surprised. By this. Uh, this turn for Cersei.
1: Not really. Uh, particularly now. She's pregnant. Mm. I feel that she's sort of taking on the Tywin school of thought now, a a dynasty lasting a thousand years. It's carrying the name on, the child is going to further the Lannister name. Why get involved in this particular war at this stage when clearly the odds are stacked against them? Her, her, like you mentioned earlier, Cersei's belief is: well, look, let's let John and Danny deal with it, because even if they lose, they'll probably cut up a lot of their forces, and then we'll see what happens. But if there's a chance that they can win, then we'll just deal with whoever's left, and that's going to be her. Um, that's going to be her scheme, I guess, from this point onwards. I, I there's a part of me that wanted her to side with them and think that this could actually be something that changes their mind yeah. the more I think about it the more I'm just not surprised, I mean what we've seen <laughs> of her this season yeah. she really is becoming a mad queen, she is losing the plot and when we think of some of the striking moments with her character this season um, mm-hmm. learning about how to, to kill the dragons mm-hmm. um, the way she, treat, she treated uh, the, the, the Dornish you know, the, uh, the Martels. I mean Um, I I sort of feel like um, she's gone a bit crazy and even her so-called alliance with Euron Greyjoy in itself is just a bit bizarre. Um, The fact that she's sort of promising him the the chance to marry her, which we just know is never going to (laughs) happen. But the other big thing is just her relationship with Jamie in this whole season. And, And we'll come on to the whole Jamie stuff later, but I sort of think just gradually this season, She's become more distant, more isolated, and, and I don't think she really is thinking straight. I wonder if Cersei of season one or two would have necessarily gone along this route, but Cersei as queen, she wants to retain her power. She's waited too long for this, and, uh-huh. and I don't think she wants to let anything stop her. Um, and even whatever Tyrion and Cersei discussed, because we don't really know what was uh, what was it that sort of changed her mind, I guess, um, uh, loosely <laughs> pretended to change her mind, um, but I, I sort of think it was was it something that we could ever buy as an audience member? I'm not really sure. Um, what, what about yourself, though? Did, did did you sort of feel that? You know, Cersei was actually going to become a team player in this moment, when particularly when Tyrion came back, or was this something that just is never really in your mind?
0: It was one of those things I think I was hoping might happen, just because I thought that would be would be interesting and it would be a uh, you know would be a, a nice thing to have happened. Uh, and I think you, you know I think Game of Thrones was sort of playing on uh, sort of the cultural. Uh, in, in, in popular culture often you know the evil queen becomes pregnant and that melts her heart kind of thing and I think Game of Thrones was kind of playing off of that because it was when Tyrion realized that she was pregnant that he was able to convince her to join the fight convince you know in, in air quotes there uh, and in reality that's not really Cersei's character that doesn't really you know she would do anything to protect her children Um but at this point is does she really care about her children or does she care about her her legacy and and i think both are are are, are true i think she does care i think she will care for this child assuming it actually gets born uh, or it actually is born um but, uh so i i do think that but i also can see how you know not committing to this fight um, it is a way for her to, in in her own twisted way, she thinks she's protecting this child and protecting this child's right to, to the future. And yeah, like you said, it's, it's Tywin-esque. It's, it's preserving, um, the, uh, the family legacy. That's what it's all about. Uh, more than working, wor- worrying about what's best for the world. And, and so I, I it, it was one of those things I, I, I think for a moment it may have tricked me into thinking okay this could uh this could this could happen this could she could actually join the fight um but in at the end of the day I think it's more interesting that she doesn't and it will be uh, it'll be interesting to see how John and Danny and uh Tyrion and Davos and everybody else reacts to this news but there's something that that, Cer- that Cersei has scenes with both uh Jamie and Tyrion in this episode and in both scenes and I think this is interesting in both scenes she threatens to have them killed by uh, by the mountain and in neither neither scene ends with the death of either of her brothers what what do you think that says about her headspace
1: that those would, it's, it's there? That, that's a great, the great, two great scenes to really mirror because, like you say, the the way that I look at it as well is that it seems to be some sort of telepathic connection almost between Cersei and the mountain, and it seems as though the mountain will genuinely carry out what Cersei wants, mm-hmm. and what in both instances there were was intimidation. And in Jamie's one, to the extent of really saying, look, you know, I'm this close. I've got the sword drawn. I'm going to do it. But then she doesn't do it. And then with Tyrion, she doesn't do it. And is that family connection there? I don't really know. She's never... Because she's always threatened Tyrion. She's always yeah. wanted him dead, quote-unquote. But... She's never done it, though, has she?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even when she was growing up, she never... She could have done. I'm sure she could have found a way to do it. And, um, you know, it was Tywin who ordered the execution of Tyrion, not Cersei in season four, even though Tyrion... Uh, Cersei blamed did, Tyrion for And I think she genre. was pretty... Which is you know, pr- not true, by the
0: way. Yes, she did find out. But it, I think she was pretty happy with... Uh, oh, uh,
1: yeah.
0: With the fact point. that he was going to be killed
1: for that. Yeah, but... I, I don't know what what – I'm trying to think. I'm struggling to think what has changed in particular with Tyrion. As far as Jamie goes, I'm not surprised um, because I think Jamie is still one of the only people in the world that she loves. But what maybe that tells you is that there is perhaps a connection with Tyrion that we didn't really think or know about. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe something under the surface. I don't really know how to describe the Tyrion moment. Unless, unless it's just a political gambit, and she thinks, "Well, if I kill Tyrion, I'm killing the hand of the queen. Am I bringing war to to King's Landing? I don't know." What, what, what's yeah. your view on that? That's,
0: that's the question, right? Is it a political move? Is is she so smart politically that she realizes she can't kill Tyrion and expect there to be peace, uh, or, or not even peace? Um, that's the wrong word for for. Um, for Danny and John to leave her alone so that she can enact her plans. Um, So I think that, I think that was the big, I think that's the big, like uh, a big question, whether it's that or whether it is, there is actually some sort of familial love under all of that twisted, uh, all of those twist all of that twisted relationship. I tend to lean, lean towards the, 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 um, the former, I think it, it is a political move. I I think she understands that situation, and you know I I think like you said, the whole year on Greyjoy thing was that's 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 the key to all of this. Is that if that really happened the way she said it happened, that he was uh, that he was going to go and pick up the golden company no matter what, um, then I think. Everything that she does in this episode from that point on, except letting Jamie go, is political. And it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty shrewd strategy. It's pretty good. Um, although I suspect it will backfire in her face because of the, you know, army of zombies coming to kill everybody. Uh, but I, I do think it was political. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, her scene with Jamie there because finally, Jamie ends this uh, toxic relationship that they have had since before the series began, their entire life. Um, What did you make of of that moment where he he finally walks away?
1: Oh, it was great. It was a great moment. It was such a tense scene, really, wasn't it? Between Mm -hmm. two characters who really just... Well, Jamie in particular just had enough, and the whole the audience is backing Jamie here and saying, "Just leave her, just go, come on, that's the right thing to do." What Cersei has done is, well, she's certainly not purposely done it, but she's pushed Jamie away by not telling him about the Euron Greyjoy plan. He's really left him in the dark. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The other thing with Jamie is that. He's now had the experience of – sort of full experience of understanding what the hell is going on here uh, on the ground at a practical level. He's seen the army of the dead, and he believes what John and Danny are saying – Mm-hmm. In part, I imagine, because before he would have said, "I don't believe in dragons," and yet when he's gone out on the battlefield, he knows what damage these dragons can cause. Mm-hmm. And so she- not seen that yet? She yeah. hasn't yet seen that. Oh, she's yeah. seen, it. She, and she's used wildfire. So I mean, she's probably all the way. Come on, let's have a dragon come this way, then. <laughs> <laughs> I want to control one. Now. Yeah. I feel like she's damage and destruction. Cersei so, so, and Jamie is the complete opposite at this stage because what what is the dead and uh, going to do it's going to cause death and destruction yeah. um and to cersei it's all good because it'll be to our enemies but to jamie it's like no this is ex- this is an existential crisis here and he and the best one of the better lines is when he, he he says um he says well either we just leave the dead to come here and we all die or we wait for john and danny to win and then they come down and kill us all <laughs> and it's like yeah that is that is where they're at
0: mm-hmm. um
1: uh, but then, of course, Cersei talks about the whole golden company, and and it just—I think at that point he's like, "No, I just can't—I can't believe any more of these lies." And if you—if you don't trust me, then—and ha- and I've trusted you as well, for Jamie's point of view, I've trusted you the whole way here, uh-huh. and now this is what happens. And then I think, what what sort of thought could be going through his head at that point? Maybe what Brienne had said—you know, yeah. you got to tell you got to tell the Queen—and he's like, "Well, what can I say?" Um and he, because he, he feels like he's trusted her to to such an extent now. Yeah, and uh, that was it. It was the the straw that broke the camel's back. And my God, was it a tense moment! But go on, Dominic. What's your take on that scene in particular? Yeah,
0: well, it really is. It's the culmination of Jamie's journey on on in, in on the show that really began, I think, in season three uh, during his scenes with Brienne after he lost his hand because. You know Jamie, the, the character of Jamie in those first two seasons, he seems to really enjoy war. He seems to enjoy fighting and, and 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 all of that. And then he 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 loses his ability to do that, and is forced to sort of reconsider his life and and everything that he has done, uh, the good, like killing the Mad King, and the bad, uh, everything he'd done with Cersei or pushing Bran out a window, uh, all all of those things. And he had stuck by Cersei because of loyalty. Uh, And I think the moment where Brienne says, fuck loyalty to him, and he's sort of shocked by her, of all people, saying, fuck loyalty. Uh, And I think think he was really... He he understood that the real threat is to the North and that there's no way for them to win. Because he's, like you said, he's seen the uh the realities of the dragons up close and uh and if if he has to go out there and f- face that again he may not survive and um where am i going with this <laughs> he uh he, he this is a character who yeah his, his loyalty is what has kept him from taking action before and now that he is being openly mocked and, and, and made fun of for believing in this lie, which everybody else seems to believe in. Um, and, and he, and and that the right thing is not going to be done. He realizes now that the right thing is never going to be done by Cersei and she's going to make fun of him for trying to do, or she's mocking him for uh, trying to do the right thing. And he decides, you know what? There's, there's no more reason for me to be a part of this, and he leaves, and and I think that really sort of concludes uh, his arc from season one to now, which means he's probably going to die next season. But you, you know, he, uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was a great moment to see him riding away and, and to see him make that decision of, you know, I've I've uh, you know I've I've played victim in a way my entire life, and now it's time for me to to take some action. And, uh, well, and and if that means if that means abandoning my loyalty or my honor, well, people already think I have no loyalty or honor. So here I go. I'm going to do the right thing.
1: Well, that's the type of character that he really had had become. I, I uh-huh. felt by the start of season seven. Yeah, and which it made just, it weird it that it made it weird
0: that he kept sticking by her side throughout this season. Like this was one of those moments we've been I've been waiting for since like episode two. I was like, when is Jamie going to realize? time to go
1: well he stuck out like a sore thumb didn't he at that meeting because Uh of all the players there sort of if you were going to say who should be on whose side you know you're sort of like jamie why are you on cersei's team here you should be with john and danny yeah you're those guys now you're with Tyrion and and the rest of them Uh Uh, but it's just taken certain characters to push him in that direction if you think about the meeting with Tyrion, yep. the, the the meeting with Elena to then reveal that it wasn't actually Tyrion that killed Joffrey, it was her. And then the Euron-Greyjoy alliance, and finally really, like you said, the Brienne stuff, and, and over the course of the season, every interaction with Cersei, I feel like it was just sort of, the loyalty has simmered down to such a lower level, mm-hmm. that it really did, like you said, it was a culmination by the end, and and this was it, and my god, was it good. Yeah. But I have to ask you the question. Did you think at any moment that Jamie was going to die?
0: Um, I thought it was more likely that he was going to die than Tyrion. Mm-hmm. I thought that might have been – really, that would have been the final um, – the final nail in the coffin, so to speak for Cersei of, you know, or for any chance of Cersei being a good guy. Uh, not that there really is any chance of that, but I think if she had have actually killed Jamie, then it, then she would have gone full mad queen there, but she didn't. So there is, there is some humanity left in her. Uh, I don't think, I don't think we're heading towards a redemption arc for her by any stretch of the imagination. I don't see her as a, as a Darth Vader type character, um, uh, but it, it does show that underneath it all, she does actually still care for Jamie a little bit, not enough to do anything about it. Her other emotions and her other, uh, you know, her, her drive for power and her desires for power, uh, over, over, overpower her, uh, her, her caring for Jamie, but it, it does exist. A little kernel of it still exists. So when she falls, it, there will still be a... You know, she is a tragic character. She, she truly, truly is a, a tragic character. You know, this is somebody who, whose whole life, she, for so long in her life, she was bossed around by powerful men. She was never allowed to live up to her full potential, uh, uh, uh during her early life because of her gender. It, it was, you know, for totally arbitrary reasons that she wasn't able to rise to the same heights as Tywin, or she wasn't able to be trained in, in some of those, so th- some of those things. And so that it built up this incredible resentment and she found it, you know, she found some refuge from that in her relationship with her brother. And then it, later in her children, but all of her children were taken from her. Uh, she, she was uh, abused her entire life by emotionally by her father, uh, physically physically, uh, by her husband and her brother, we needn't forget that. Um, and uh, and she lost everything. And once she had lost, you know, her children, the one things that she sort of could cling to. That was when she just sort of embraced embraced the pain and, and used that as a as a means. She went full dark side. She used her anger and her hate and her pain to take power uh, in the uh, in last season's finale, and that's what's been driving her since then. And you know, there is the, there is maybe a little kernel of, of light somewhere in her, but it, it, it she's gone full evil, but it's, she wasn't born evil. Nobody's born evil. She was, uh, she was, uh, molded that way by, uh, the people around her and her circumstances in life and, and the society. And, and in a way, in a way, Cersei should be on Team Danny. You know, she should be fighting for what Danny is fighting for building this new world and 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 breaking the wheel that really crushed Cersei in her early life. Uh and uh, and it's she's a tragic character and she's a she's an evil character, don't get me wrong, but she's a tragic one too.
1: When you also look at uh, so that's why Euron Greyjoy is almost a personification, you could argue, everything that Cersei should be hating. Yeah. <laughs> He's obnoxious. He thinks he's the bee's knees. And if he became married with Cersei, he'd want to take control and, and, and be the dominant figure in that sort of relationship. And Cersei is sort of, like you say, she's gone through that with her father and her husband. And, and it's sort of like, why do you want to be with this guy? Uh, why do, and, and and I think, like you say, it's interesting then because it shows that she's sort of embraced power. Power her driving force. And it's interesting, actually, that once she's lost her children, that's when she... Becomes the most powerful person in Westeros, in in, in one sort of perspective, um, because she becomes queen.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you and could you could argue, you oh, could even argue, yeah. you could even argue that her um, she was kind of, you know, her children in a way were a means to an end for her. Um, at least uh, Joffrey was at, at the beginning, and Tommen was at the end of you know she wanted them she she so wanted power that at times she was trying to manipulate them and use them um and and it was uh it was tragic but still she she does i do believe she truly loved her children i mean she was willing to uh sacrifice Tommen during the battle of the blackwater so that he wouldn't have to endure whatever stannis would put him through um she loved marcella nobody can uh nobody can take that away from her but uh, you know Again, a, a tragic character who, uh, even though she loved her children, she was so blinded by her drive for power and and you know her inability to take power herself, and so she had to use her children in that way. And, and again, not a not a good character. Nobody is um, nobody's pardoning Cersei for what she did, um, but there is a you know you, you can't help but feel bad for this character. In a way, uh, for for everything that she's been through, I mean, and
1: like it will get more tragic because I don't think that child will be born.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, and and that may be uh, that that may be just another uh, another uh, another moment for Cersei where it just the the world and uh, that she lives in is, is against her. And like I said, it, it, in a way, it it makes more sense for her to have uh, to she her her ideology in a way it's it's kind of funny her ideology is, is is probably pretty similar to Danny's but she they're they're just they're just different enough that they wind up being mortal enemies it's it's kind of weird that way um speaking of Danny let's talk about her in this episode i was surprised at how passive Danny is in this episode like this season has really been hers this is re- season has really been about Uh, You know, Daenerys Targaryen coming to Westeros and beginning her quest for the Iron Throne in earnest. And yet in the finale, she is of our main characters. She is perhaps the least impactful of all of them. She doesn't really do much at the meeting. She has her grand entrance, but she doesn't do much there. Uh, It's Tyrion who goes to, it's John who kind of blows it. (laughs) It's Tyrion who goes to try and save it. And then um, uh, that was kind of it. She didn't really factor into the meeting as much as I thought she would. And she didn't really, she didn't really even factor into this episode as much as I thought she would. This episode was so much more about, about John. Really, and that I found a little bit surprising given how this season has gone. Did that surprise you at all?
1: It did a little bit, but I don't know. Would I have been more interested in learning what Danny had to say in that meeting than somebody like John? I think John has become, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, has John been down south either? You know, it's as a new experience for him as it is for Daenerys. Oh. What was surprising, perhaps, is the fact that. Daenerys is the dragon queen. She's supposed to be the number one rival to Cersei in that extent. And when you looked at the grand entrance, it seemed like here we go. This is going to be Danny show, show of strength. But you were right. She didn't really say much in the meeting. And I think based on what I've seen in some of the behind the scenes stuff, for Danny, the interesting part in that meeting was to learn what, about um, how Cersei was going to react to everything, really. Uh-huh. That was what she was doing. She was perhaps being the passive uh, leader in that respect because she wanted to learn and, and listen to what Cersei had to say. She's never met Cersei before. She's heard a lot about her, um, but then you've had the likes of Tyrion who all interacted with Cersei constantly, of course, his, his brother, um, and, 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 and John has... I don't know if John, I think he must have done when she came to Winterfell. So it's just, for Danny, it's a completely new experience. And, and I guess she wants to see where, what's Cersei going to do next? What's Cersei's next move? I don't think Danny necessarily felt in a position, which I guess is surprising when you consider all of her armed forces um, outside to defeat her. But it seemed as though her ambition, which is why she was so off with Jon is that she did want to forge an alliance, uh, mm-hmm. and perhaps being more passive in this type of meeting would help to achieve those goals. But then she forgot that Jon Snow was there <laughs> to to be a, put a spanner in the works. Mm-hmm. But I, that's sort of where I'm leaning towards. I don't I don't know what you think about Daenerys's sort of passive nature, particularly at the meeting.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like given the way the meeting plays out, it it it, it doesn't really. Doesn't really makes uh, make a whole lot of sense for her to have had some sort of grand show at the meeting. Or I I just think like the way that the episode played out makes sense. I'm not saying it, it doesn't make sense or it doesn't add up. I'm more just sort of surprised that even if it wasn't at the meeting, that there wasn't something more for her to do uh, in this episode because of uh, of, of how much uh, how much she's done this season and instead her her kind of her her role in this episode is to to be at the meeting uh but not really impact it all that much uh and then to uh then to, then to hook up with John at the end of the episode like there isn't a, a a ton uh that this character has to do and and like i was saying you know John is really the one who makes the the big the big statement about breaking the wheel in this episode which is really Danny's whole thing. So,
1: what I, would you like to have seen, Danny? I, I,
0: that's the thing. I I don't know in the context of this episode what I would have liked her to to have done because she did because I do think the episode played out very well as it as it is, um, and I don't really want to just sit here and like rewrite the episode because that's not my role. I was I'm just more saying, given the 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 her presence this season, it was weird that her presence was cut a little bit from this episode or toned down for this episode, I think.
1: No, I mean, that, I think that's fair, I guess, particularly with the nature of her character. Maybe it's because Danny's big show was last, last episode. Yeah. You could argue that there should be more progression in along those lines, but you never know. Perhaps the loss of one of her dragons as well might have wounded her a little bit. She might not have been as, you know, wanting to, um, show such a well I mean she made a grand entrance to be fair um but I think Cersei did sort of make the point of you know there was two of her dragons where where is the other one she sort of recognized that Danny, in a way was trying to put her message across through what you could see on her side you could see the army outside you could see the Dothraki you could see these powerful dragons um and and it's you know certainly had to sort of tone it down to to be you know not fearful or impressed as clearly many of the other players at that meeting were and I, I do I do see your point it was maybe a bit odd but I don't really know what else I would have wanted yeah. to see it do
0: yeah in in the context of this episode like John has always been the guy really pushing for the um uh pushing for all of the the, for everybody to pay attention to the white walkers Tyrion. it makes more sense for Tyrion to go and face up with face his family i think that's kind of the that those are the relations those are the the scenes we've been waiting for in a way uh ever since he shot tywin um and and uh and and so you know the, the way the episode plays out it makes sense for everybody to do what they did but just in the grand scheme of things like i said um so uh before we wrap up the uh King's Landing stuff let's take a, a moment and go through some of these sort of the the smaller reunions that we got in this episode and uh one thing I've been I've been kind of critical of this season is that sometimes these smaller reunions don't get given the, uh, the weight that they, uh, they deserve. And, you know, I think back to Tyrion's reunion with Jamie earlier this season, which really isn't a small reunion, but it was kind of played off as if it was a small reunion back a couple episodes ago. But we got a couple in, in, in this episode. So, uh, Jay, uh, not Jamie, uh, Tyrion, Podrick and Braun back together again. Uh, that, and, and now kind of on opposing sides. Uh, but that was a sort of a fun, a, a fun little scene. Uh, I like Tyrion's uh, little, uh, remark of here we all are, the heroes of Blackwater, of the Battle of the Blackwater. Um, and, you know, trying to buy, uh, Braun off and Braun talking about how he's really, you know, he's really looking out for himself. I thought that was a, a fun reunion. Um, the Hound and, uh, and Brienne, that was probably, uh, probably my favorite uh, seeing those two uh, sort of kind of uh, kind of apologize to each other and and then sort of bond over their mutual respect and caring for Arya like that was a that was a nice moment and then of course the hound and the mountain a little stare down no clagane bowl but it definitely uh definitely seems like they're they're at least leaving the door open to that uh in the future season what did you think of of these reunions karen i
1: thought they were great uh the, yeah the brienne and, and the hound meeting does certainly stand out really um we sort of forgot that these characters had not seen each other since since season. she killed him <laughs> yeah well exactly i mean because i think it's weird with the crossover, isn't it? Because of the the Hound with the Brotherhood and the, because of Jon Snow sort of seeing to be that character that binds many of these other characters together, I sort of forgot, oh, yeah, well, Brienne was with Jon, but now she, oh, she's not with Jon. And then the Hound was with Jon. So, yeah, they all came together. And um, that was not one that I actually thought about. Uh, I thought about Brienne and Jamie and the Hound and the Mountain, but I didn't think of those two characters for some Odd reason. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really liked about the meeting was some of, as I said earlier, the nuances. One of the moments that stood out to me actually was when that, yeah, that white sort of rushed at Cersei and she was caught a little bit in a fright, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start demonstrating that this thing can't die. What's the first thing? at kyber and yes <laughs> goes along and picks up the arm and he's like "Ooh, i wonder what i could do with this and it yeah. just i love that he's a little bit crazy and he's not really afraid either he was one of the few people that was on cersei's team that was like yeah i'll just go and walk over and see what what i can do with this um i don't know could we see something with that or do you just think it was something to sort of pique his curiosity but nothing's really going to happen
0: um Anything is possible. I, I mean, I, 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 we've seen kyburn has been kind of interested in zombies for a while now. I mean, the mountain is basically a zombie at this point. Um, so I did love, like I said, I, I love that he went over and picked it up and was fascinated by it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, um, even if he figured something out in next season and, and tells Cersei and Cersei's like, well, I will keep this information to myself just in case. Um, and then the question would be, how would that information make its way to, uh, make its way North? Uh, but it, it's definitely, it definitely leaves that door open if that's something what they want to explore. And I, I hope they do because, uh, Kyburn's a pretty interesting character and a pretty fun character. So to, to have, uh, have him investigating the zombies, the whites, um, uh, would be pretty cool. Um, what
1: a- one other little moment, which was between Euron and Theon, or maybe yeah. just Euron in general, in this scene <laughs> before he walks off, seems to try to be the center of attention again, doesn't he? Yeah,
0: yeah, he's like he, he doesn't want he doesn't want to let uh, Theon forget um, that. Uh, he's in he's in he's almost like he's trying to prove his uh position of power there like he he almost like he's proving his worth to being there for for being there and you know reminding everybody of his power like the, the there's a great like 10 minute 10 15 minute behind the scenes uh feature about this scene and the actor who plays euron basically says yeah you know like it's really weird for me to be here because, you know, I'm the new kid on the block and all of these other guys, I've been watching them on TV for six or seven seasons. And it's almost like Euron as a character kind of maybe felt the same way because, you know, this whole war has been going on for so long. So he's, it's almost like he's proving his worth that he should be there because he has this sort of key ally of, of, of Danny and, uh, and Theon captured and, and, um, all, you know, just sort of putting some political pressure uh, or throwing in some pressure to uh to this scene
1: I, I did love that during that whole time when he was speaking everyone was sort of on the same page. and was like just shut up and sit down yeah <laughs> <laughs> it got to the point where even cersei was like just sit down don't need you talking anymore um yeah i think that's a good i, I did watch that uh, documentary i sort of forgot about that little part actually when he does say yeah that's uh uh, he is proving his worth as, as the character, and, and, and then it sort of stems from the, from the actor himself. But, yeah, I, I think you summed it up well with the, the, the main little reunions that, that, that were really nice. And I did, I did like the Podrick Tyrion moment yes. as well, the two of them on their own. I thought that that was quite nice because, you, you, again, you forget that these characters have been through so much. And I,
0: and I and, loved that uh... uh, Moment. Yeah. I loved bronze line too. <laughs> you can suck his magic cock later, but <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get going. Um, so since you, since you brought up Euron and Theon, why don't we go to that next? And then we'll get to, to Littlefinger and and the, and the Stark girls, uh, in, in, in a little bit. But, um, this Theon scene between Theon and Jon, and, and all of the Theon stuff, really, I feel like this needed to happen a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like this, it's like with everybody is so focused on the end game at the end of this episode, and yet here we are at the end of this season, uh, at the end of the season, and everybody's focusing on on getting uh, on on uh, on the end game, and then it's like oh, and we'll have to have this quick Iron Island side plot as well. It's like that's the one thing that's kind of separate from everything else and there are ways they can kind of tie it back in but you know Cersei's plotting against the against the Stark Targaryen alliance uh all the stuff in Winterfell all the stuff between John and Danny, all of that feels like it's going in one direction and the Iron Island stuff feels like it's splitting off to go do something else but um I did love the scene that we got between um uh I did love that we got the scene between between John and Theon where they where Theon sort of asks John for advice and and they have this um this weird sort of moment because they did grow up as basically brothers um and so it was nice to have them kind of reconnect a little bit and yeah and John says you know I can't forgive you for everything but for what, what I can I, I forgive I I will and he gives him that great 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 bit of advice of don't. Be a Stark or a um, uh, a Greyjoy, be both, which I think is going to be crucial for Jon next season. He just s- swap out Greyjoy with Targaryen. Uh, but what did you think of that scene, there, Kieran?
1: Yeah, it was a it was an unexpected moment in this episode, really. Not, I didn't actually expect Theon to do much in this episode. Yet, like you say, it's sort of a bit of a rushed catch up for his character arc really isn't it by the time you get to the end of this episode you could have really had that final scene with him when he was having that fight or whatever um maybe on its own if you'd already had the sort of john forgiveness scene and the, and the euron stuff it was just it i think the just pace of it throughout the season hasn't really been there with theon it, it sort of developed at the beginning, and then you had the whole Yara stuff, and and she was taken away, and and then Theon was, you know, abandoned ship basically, and then was looked at as a coward. And then really from that point onwards, episode three onwards, you didn't have any anything else yeah. until this episode, and you were sort of left on the sidelines. You had that little moment where Jon met Theon and said, "I don't forgive you," and then it's sort of like what has really changed for John to now accept it? I almost wanted, you needed a, just another conversation, I feel, in between the two, um, just to to sort of build it all together, because the, the, the makings of it were there. It just, it was a great scene, don't get me wrong, but like you say, maybe it just seemed a little bit out of turn, um, based on where Fion's character arc had gone, but what it is nice to see is that John has forgiven him. If we're looking mm-hmm. at it from that perspective, because I didn't, a lot of people now have have got to the point with Theon are thinking, look, we really did not like you, <laughs> and and yet you have been for a lot. You did save Sansa. And now, by by the time I think season six was rolling along towards the end, a lot of people were on the side of, well, now let's get, we want theon to have a redemption story. Let's let's give him another chance. And yet, in this season, it was always being met with you're on either saying you're worthless you're never going to live up to it or you'd have the likes of john saying i'm never going to forgive you and and now this was the the one shining moment in theon's story this season of, of 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 a little bit of progression towards that redemption yeah. story. would you reckon that that's a fair assessment to make
0: i think so um it was it was it felt weird and out of place in this particular episode but um with the exception of the fight, which we'll get to in a second. But I, I, everything else about Theon in this episode I really liked, even if it was weird and out of place. Because Theon's another tragic character. He's a character that, uh, you know, he was taken from his family. And even though, yeah, um I can't even remember his name. Balon Greyjoy. Yeah, Bal- Balon Greyjoy is, a, is an asshole. Um, There's no doubt about that. Um, but even then, you know, being taken from your family and, and against your will, really, uh, and even though he was raised by a much better man in, in Ned Stark, it still is not, it still can't be easy for that character. And he probably resented his situation. And as he talked about, he was never sure whether he should, should he be helping Rob or should he be helping Balon? And he made the wrong choice because of his true father being an abusive asshole. Uh, and that led to him. Betraying Rob and committing to sort of being a bad guy, and then being a bad guy got him tortured and and uh, mutilated and brutalized in, in horrific ways, um, and he, he was you know you know mentally destroyed, and he kind of. Ever since then, he's been sort of trying to work his way out of that, but he, it's clear he has very severe PTSD from, as we talked about earlier on in the season when, when Euron had Yara. Um, and, and all of, so all of these, he's been through this horrific story and, you know, this, this moment with, um, with John where he basically says, you know, you've kept, in, in a way, you, you, you may have ignored, your, uh, Stark side for a while, but it's never left you. You still have that. So embrace that and embrace, uh, your heritage. You know, don't, don't forget about your true family. Don't forget about Yara, who has always truly cared for you. Re- Yara represents the best of the Iron Islands, whereas Euron represents the worst. And so Theon needs to, to take, um, you know, the lessons that he learned from Ned Stark and use them to help his family and his people his true family and his people or his blood family and, and and his people and he goes off to to do that and he stands up for yara the, the fight is weird <laughs> the fight is really weird um but i do love when he kind of walks out into the sea at the end there and he kind of falls to his knees it, it reminded me a bit of the um sort of the 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 the, the the scene where Euron is is declared king and he's sort of thrown underwater by the the priest and um he's, the those the lines are something like you know he he will be reborn and i feel like it's a it's a similar th- scene for Theon where he's in a way in a, a metaphorical way he's being reborn as as a new character this is the real turning point for him and and now he's yeah. going to go and save Yara
1: yeah i do. that that is Uh, One of the questions I was about to ask is Do you think this. So is it going to be that he does just saves Yara or could he even push him to become the new king? I don't know. I
0: I don't think that. I think he believes in. Much in the same way that I think John believes in Danny and Tyrion believes in Danny, I think Theon believes in Yara. And I don't think he wants to be king. And I, 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 you know, the whole thing. The scene, the scene is, I think, similar intentionally to this, to the t- scene where, um, Euron is declared king because of the, like, reborn nature of it. Uh, sure. but I think it's, it's sort of the spiritual and, 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 uh, uh, uh metaphorical rebor- rebirth for Theon as somebody who is going to go out there and, and do the right thing from here on in. Um, so yeah, yeah the visual, uh, similarities are there for the rebirth nature of it but i don't think he's going to become king i think he is out there to save yara and should yara if yara should die then maybe he would pick up that mantle and try and uh bring her ideas forward into the into the new world but i don't think he's he's out there to to do that to to, uh to take that from her unless uh something tragic happens so uh but yeah I, i just want to say about the fight like the fight was pretty stupid that was the worst part of this episode. It was like, he's getting beat up by this Iron Islands guy that we don't really care about or, or know anything about. And so you have to know that that guy's gonna lose eventually. And of course he loses because he's, <laughs> he tries to knee Theon in the groin and, you know, Theon's missing some stuff down there. Uh, and it's so confusing to that guy that he, um, <laughs> then he loses the fight and the- does Theon just kill him and do they just leave his body there on the beach like is it so nobody going to go down there and notice that there's just this random dead guy there <laughs> like it's just it was weirdly done like nobody seems to seems to think twice about that
1: well i mean that's the iron islands way i guess isn't it <laughs> i guess <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if they just leave him there yeah I suppose oh, who knows? Maybe maybe you know that, that's another tragic character we'll never know about now. <laughs> who, who yeah, knows?
0: I don't know. I'm not super sympathetic to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, their their plans for uh, what they were going to do were not all that uh not all that noble. Um all right, let's go to Winterfell. Let's go to Winterfell where we see uh see the results of uh this of the the plot from last week with with Arya and Sansa and everything going on there. And uh we start there's a scene between Sansa and Littlefinger where Littlefinger gets Sansa to play the game, you know, worst intentions, which is like that's the worst game ever. Like <laughs> I mean, Littlefinger is not even subtle anymore. He's just like just imagine the worst thing that they're going to do and assume that they're going to do it. Like <laughs> hell man come on <laughs> like can you not be any can you not can you not be any more on the nose than that that you're trying to turn these two against each other um i will say i think you got into my head last week with your whole idea of you know aria wearing little finger's face in a future episode so i'm watching that scene and i'm wondering is little already dead and is this actually Arya? Because there was something that felt a little bit off in the performance from Aiden Gillen. It just it seemed to be moving a little bit differently. And it reminded me of when David Bradley uh, came back for the first episode of this season as um Walder Frey. And it turned out that it was actually Arya wearing his face. And so I was kind of thinking that that... It might be something uh, uh, along those lines, Uh, but it wasn't. Instead, it was just Littlefinger not even being subtle anymore. Um, What did you think of that scene?
1: He he overplayed his hand a little bit. Yeah. Um, What I will say, actually, is because on one hand, you may be a little bit disappointed with that (laughs) scene and the the writing of it because it's so obvious by this point. But I think you made a good point, actually, when you were talking about the whole Littlefinger plot about splitting two sisters together and saying that really the, the rug's going to be pulled out from under our carpets and it's going to be that we all think Littlefinger's got got Sansa where he wants her and then actually it's it's, it's it's the scheming of the sisters that wins out. But what I thought was good um, was that not only was the game a little bit daft, <laughs> um, but what, what does he then what sort of messages you put in across to Sansa about Arya's ambition? It's that she wants to become Lady of Winterfell. But Arya's never wanted to be a lady. And the whole, I think, reason for the the scene between her and Sansa with that whole really tense confrontation, is that not, I think she's trying to say to Sansa, hey, look, I could wear your face. I could be the Lady of Winterfell, but I don't want to be. Mm -hmm. surely that thought would also have been playing through Sansa's mind. So if she hadn't already known by that point, I'm sure that would have been a giveaway. So you could read that scene in a couple of ways is what I'm trying to say. But all all I can say for sure is that certainly that scene put the nail in the coffin to to Littlefinger's fate, really. I think that's why we saw that. Because otherwise it is a little bit like, well, why are we seeing more just scheming? But when you see how the rest of it plays out, that's how I read that scene. Yes. Yeah. Little I finger, one last time, but he's A overplayed it and B that's the telltale sign to be like, ah. So, Ario in last episode wasn't actually on the um uh, looking to have a fight with her sister. Yeah. That's what is what's your would I, you agree with uh, that? Oh yeah,
0: 100%. 100% I, I, I agree. This was um you know it's it's a little finger's overconfidence is his weakness he he thought he thought he had Sansa figured out but really um she played him she went along with his game to see what he wanted and Arya probably went along with it too they uh, they may some i've seen some people suggest they may be that the three of uh, Arya Bran and Sansa kind of planned out this scene uh when they were all together uh for that first time out in the um in the godswood by the, by the weirwood where they, they sort of made this plan to expose Littlefinger and, and figure out what his true machinations were. And, uh, that, I, I like that. I like that theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I do like it, uh, that everything we've seen since then has just been about seeing what Littlefinger wants to happen and, and letting him, letting him think that at, um, I, I, do question now like if if that was the plan all along then why Arya and sansa were fighting by themselves uh like they were really in character in this um in those scenes last they were really they were really in character as people who hated each other in in those scenes last week when they was were alone
1: scenes where little finger wasn't around really.
0: exactly so it, it may have been a situation where Something happened off screen between these two episodes where they figured it out. Uh, I would have liked to have seen that that moment, Uh, whether it was Bran using his visions to help them or whether it was and this would have been my preference, just the two of them sitting down and talking to each other. And I'm glad we got that a little bit in this episode when they're standing uh, on the on the walls at Winterfell, which seems to be the uh, preferred place for. Sansa to have conversations with her siblings is just oh, yeah, we'll go up on the walls and stand there uh, stand there perfectly so that we're each <laughs> we're each standing in front in front of one of the, like the divots in the wall so that the cameras can get to us easily. Um, but I, do, we'll, also, I
1: we'll, we'll, we'll sort of link in the next scene together just before mm-hmm. we get to the whole reveal part. There yeah. is that moment when Sansa just is sort of looking out mm-hmm. um, yeah where she's wearing a hood before she says right call aria do you think that's a character moment within sansa that's maybe just pondering decision she's about to take yeah i think so is is it does it seem like then that this is something that she's uncertain about putting forward but then she's like no i've just i've just got to do it how do you read that i
0: I think she's she realizes in that moment that it's a she's about to sentence a man to death you know, I think you know, the, the, the show in that moment wants us to think that she's considering s- sentencing Arya to death. But I think really what's going on there is she's just sort of making sure that this is what she wants to do, that, that this is the right decision. She's just taking that moment of reflection as people should before they make such a dramatic decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there was any doubt in her mind that, that, uh, Littlefinger needed to pay, but I think it's good to see that this character is at least aware enough to sort of go, okay, before I do this, is this what? Is this the right thing? Is this what I really want? And evidently I th- I she thought, did.
1: I thought it was interesting if I could compare that to Ramsay um, and how obviously she had no – maybe she did have a moment of thinking, but it seemed like in that one it was just pure fury if you are comparing yeah. it to perhaps you could argue what Ramsey did to Sansa was worse. But then when you look at everything between them, you could, you could argue in terms of what they've done to her and her family, um, you know, and in a way, the other thing that as she says is the one that sold him to the Boltons in the first place. So <laughs> he should probably deserve as worse a death. But anyway, that's I just thought it was interesting because we didn't see that moment of reflection with Ramsey. Um, but I, I guess it's just because of the physical pain as much as anything, and mental scarring that Ramsey did uh, yeah. more than little finger.
0: And it's just, and it's also the the nature of the episode too. You know, this episode had a little bit more time to be reflective to give us this scene, whereas Battle of the Bastards was really uh you know so much it, it, you know that was sort of at the the tail end of that whole battle sequence it was it was yeah. you know this this just there was a little bit more time to breathe in this one uh just from a purely uh filmmaking side of things uh but let's let's talk about the the uh the reveal you know they they do the they do the whole you know the thing where they trick him into thinking that she's about to sentence arya and then she turns and looks at him and says lord Baelish, and he begs for his life. Um, he tries to get uh, the Knights of the Vale to escort him back to the Eyrie. Nothing works. Nobody likes him. Uh, Bran uh, reveals some of his uh, his treacheries, um, and it's what what's funny about that this scene to me is how how um, some things in a show, like Game of Thrones we can accept no problems. And then other things cause me to go, or at least me uh, to go, that was unrealistic. So I have no problem with an ice dragon burning down a, uh, 10,000 or you know, 20,000 foot, uh, wall. But when Bran is like using his visions to, uh accuse little finger of things i'm like that is totally inadmissible no court in their right mind would accept this evidence you can't he has no he has no tangible proof even though we know he's right there's no way that any any reasonable judge would accept this evidence and you know it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous that 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 that, that sort of struck me as as weird in the scene because we are dealing with a show that has ice zombies and ice dragons and regular dragons and, you know, all of that stuff and magic and, and, and all of those crazy things and people being resurrected. But were you at all surprised that everybody just sort of just sort of accepts Brand's visions and let's uh, let's and you let's the accepts them as, as evidence in that scene?
1: Uh, it's difficult because I'm, I'm with you on one part. He's clearly shown that his power is real to Sansa and Arya. Mm -hmm. So, have they managed to persuade. In my mind, this whole. This is all a plot. Little thing is, the only one in that room that doesn't know what's going to happen is Mm -hmm. what that suggests to me. I don't know why I feel that way, but somebody like Lord Royce and the Knights of the Vale, Mm -hmm. they are still. The Knights of the Vale are still technically loyal to. The Littlefinger are they not? But yeah. then none of them in that room seem surprised, you know? Yeah. Uh, Lord Royce should have been surprised nope. yeah. at hearing that Lysa Aaron was killed because they'd had that whole trial where Littlefinger had said, No, it wasn't me, it was an accident. Yeah. Um but I, I there think... was no like, there was no expression. Littlefinger actually looked at Lord Royce and you could see nothing. No no change in his expression. So to me, what that suggests is that What was said in that room was not the first time that anybody had heard that apart from Littlefinger. That's just my personal point of view. I don't know know what you think.
0: I think the other thing is that nobody likes Littlefinger.
1: That is also true. (laughs) And
0: and that they're willing – everybody knows he's a jackass and he's a a, a conniving bastard, uh, to use that phrase again. Uh, And and so they just sort of – if somebody, if, if they're going to accept Brand's visions on face value about anybody, eh, it's probably him that they're going to ex- accept them about. Uh, and so that that kind of, uh, I think that's why, I think that's part of the reason. If the, if we have to think up an in-universe reason why everybody just sort of went, oh, okay, yeah, we accept that Littlefinger's a, an asshole, so we're going to kill him. Um,
1: but what it I is it is. I'll
0: carry on. I was just I was just gonna move on to something else about Brandt's visions. uh But sorry, if you have more to say on Littlefinger, do uh do jump in.
1: No, just a small bit about that whole scene when we're going into it. I sort of noticed it the second time, which is that I sort of thought it was a bit weird that the knights of the Vale were all in there, and then I sort of thought, oh, actually, mate, it's possibly because it de- deceives Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Um, if Arya is perceived as such a threat, you've got all these soldiers in here that. We'll be able to stop her, even if she does do a yeah. ninja assassin thing. That's <laughs> what I thought. It seems a bit odd, but it's almost a show of strength, like to really put on a show and say, "Hey, look, we're taking this very seriously. We know what you're capable of, Aria. So we're going to make sure we've got as many forces here as necessary." But anyway, and and it,
0: and it also works like for Littlefinger too. Like it, 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 it totally puts him in a situation where none of his power will work because. You know, that we go back to season one and you know, he's, he realized he couldn't fight them. So he had to fuck them. You know, he, he couldn't, he, he, he's not somebody who could fight his way out of that scene. And so even if Arya weren't all ninja assassin, there's this room full of warriors who are nobody is going to believe him anymore. He's not going to be able to trick somebody or buy somebody off. Everybody in that, that scene in, in that room is loyal to Sansa and to the Starks and they don't like him. So he he there's no there's no escape for him in that situation. And, and in a way, it's it, you know, it's 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 almost like the ultimate defeat. Not only does he die, but he dies powerless.
1: Yeah. You know, Santa takes away
0: all of his power and it's and it's a it's it's really you know, it's a, it's a very sort of uh fitting end for his story and a fitting uh conclusion for their relationship. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about brand's visions because it, it, I'm surprised. And maybe this is a casualty of just the fact that there's not enough episodes anymore. Um, but I'm a little bit surprised that everybody's just so accepting of brand's visions. Like there's not really any questioning of it. Um, there's the whole, uh, uh, you know, as we talked about in this episode, there's, uh, you know, they don't really question it when it comes to little finger, John seems to accept it right away. When, all he gets is a is a raven uh saying Bran saw this so there's not even you know he 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 hasn't even witnessed Bran using his powers the way sansa and arya have um and then even when sam comes in at the end uh and and they uh and they talk about john john's parentage um it, it sam sort of sort of like and john bradley who plays sam has the best uh does the best Oh, okay, then, faces of anybody who's acting these days. You know, it's just, you know, when Bran says, I'm the three eyed raven now, he goes, sort of goes, Oh, okay. He's got that, this great, uh, great bit of acting uh, by that, by that actor. Um, but he accepts Bran's visions pretty much right away. And so it'll be interesting next season when Bran actually has to reveal the truth about John to John and Danny. How they will react. Will they trust his visions? Um, and then, again, this has always been the larger question, um, even before the truth about John's parents was known to us, the audience, when it was just a theory. Um, the question has always been, will, uh, you know, how will the rest of the kingdoms react to this news that John is actually the heir to the throne? Um, uh, there, there will need to be some proof and, and the, that proof is always long suspected to have been from, uh, someone like Howland Reed, Mira's father. And, uh, we know he's still out there. We know she went to go, uh, she went to go home and maybe Bran would have to apologize to Mira and they could reunite. And, uh, and, and, uh, that could bring, uh, bring Howland out and maybe he'll have some piece of evidence, but at the very least, hopefully Sam, Sam still has that book, uh, that, uh, that uh that uh that gilly was reading which by the way way to take all the credit sam way to steal the credit from gilly who actually found that piece of information while you were too busy whining about your own problems and nobody taking you seriously nobody you were mad that nobody was taking you seriously so you didn't take gilly seriously and then you get to steal her uh her at the very least he should have said gilly found it in the book instead of just saying he found it but come on sam come on man step up your game
1: not on, not
0: on, <laughs> <laughs> um all right, what's left, what's left, uh, okay, so one of the things we talked about uh a lot this season is whether the chemistry between John and Danny has been working uh, I've been sort of underwhelmed by it for the most part, where where other people were starting to feel it in after their first or second meeting i it didn't really didn't really start to feel like it was there for me until really last episode. But I do think in this episode when they had their scene together in the dragon pit talking about history and stuff, I, I, I finally started to, uh, to feel, uh, to feel that, uh, that connection that people have have been talking about this season. I started to see it there. And uh, then of course at the, uh, the end of the episode, they uh, get together, so to speak. Um, What's what's next for these two? Because we now know that yes, um, Rhaegar and Lyanna are John's parents. He is legitimate. He has the claim to the throne, danny who has grown up her entire life thinking she was the true heir to the throne and now here she is not only is her closest ally um really her her greatest threat in a way he's also her lover how do they go about things oh next season yeah
1: Very complex, but I I think it makes it interesting though, actually, because of the way it all has ended, it does ask I feel like there are a lot more questions going into season 8 than I actually expected there would be Mm -hmm. sort of thinking that season 8 is going to just be about the White Walkers, but there's so much more political drama that's, that's yet to unfold, and this is one of those ones and you wonder whether that's why Tyrion was sort of looking a little bit on edge about what, what was going on there outside their room. It seemed seemed to know what was going on and he didn't seem very, I don't know whether it was unhappy about it or maybe, maybe some people were questioning whether he's, he's sort of going to be the one that betrays them. I don't know. I don't know. There's something, something maybe in that, but the, the whole John and Danny stuff, really uh, it's going to be very awkward when that, <laughs> that get revealed because the other thing that comes to my mind is I have to look at the immediate parallel which is Jamie and Cersei. Yeah. And how's that gone? You know, that's not gone down well. <laughs> I don't think ancestral relationships are something that this show is looking to promote by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that when you look at what's happened like Cersei and Jamie's is just so twisted and a bit wrong and I'm and I'm sure there was we've spoken about this before where what was it Robert Baratheon or, or somebody said that Targaryens would siblings would get with each other but yep. It, it I think they i don't know if there was something about that, not all not all of them, but I think there was a moment when they did, and it sort of um it, it then it then harmed the future generation so I'd, i i i don 't look at this as a good thing on that regard, so you 've got that one thing, the familial element, and then also, as you say, politically, are they going to become rivals, but I just don't see it with John I just don't think John's that interested in the iron throne but I guess he's never really had a claim to it. So does does that change when you know you have a claim? Yeah. Well, I don't know. What, what's, what's your take on all of this, Dominic? Well, it, it's very complex, isn't yeah, it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think. I think. Well, what, what you said about, um, you know, he he hasn't he hasn't ever really shown any interest in being uh, the king or of, of, of claiming the Iron Throne for himself. So I think in a way that could work it, that you know he just sort of says, "You know what? Fine. I uh, let's just continue. I mean that this brings up the question of of the lie uh of about lying. He could just say, "Well, let's just pretend we don't know this." And you will rule you will fight to be a a queen on the iron iron throne and I'll stay up here and be king of the north as Jon Snow son of Ned Stark and some random woman. Um so there's that. There's also a situation uh, where you know John says, okay fine people can know that I'm I'm the, the true king or I'm the true heir but I don't want it I will step aside uh, I will let you claim it um, which is basically what Theon did last season with uh, the King's moot uh, you know people were like why doesn't Theon? why why, aren't, why isn't theon running he says that I, 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 that's not my destiny that's not my place you should all support yara so maybe that should john could play a similar role the the the, the so I, I don't expect john to make a claim on the iron throne at least not right away so i think i don't think this really this news will impact john in a political sense i think it will impact danny in a political sense because he, yeah he's her her truest uh uh, ally or he's been her her, her her he's her best ally right now um but now that he has a claim is she going to feel like she's got to be constantly looking over her shoulder for him that if he, what if he just decides one day oh i'm going to going to um to make my claim and and uh, remove you from uh from uh, from being ruler of the, of westeros so I, I think there's going to be a tension like that where danny's got to figure out if she can truly trust john slash Aegon. uh and i think that's where the political drama will come from is not how john will react but how how danny will react and how she will uh whether she will feel that she can still trust john even if he uh even if that even if he has no true intention of of claiming the iron throne the other thing that might happen is John could say i'll support danny and they'll uh, and she accepts that and they continue along their merry way as as uh as as allies if not more um and then if and then you know Danny could die and then John will take up her uh her her will t- will then you know make his claim on the iron throne and and take up her cause that's another possibility of uh, of of the reveal of his parentage that's that's the other thing um on the relationship side of things or maybe or danny could um throw her support behind john and john will continue her mission her mission and then he'll die and then she'll take it take it back although that seems like one too many steps to uh to uh wind up where we where we already are uh on the relationship side of things i'm not i don't know i i'm not the the, the incest thing is it's weird that the show yeah the episode one season one episode one ends with you know finding out that two characters are in a, an incestuous relationship and that really sort of starts this whole this whole thing um and then here we are season seven episode seven and it's like well incest is incest what are you gonna do these two love each other um and so like i think the relationship between john and danny is a lot healthier than between cersei and jamie it's one that you know these are people that came together as adults who didn't know each other as children uh they didn't grow up together so I don't know, it's 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 a it's a little bit it, it is odd that this is the direction the show has gone considering where we started from. But it, it 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 is um it's 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 not the same as Jamie and Cersei. It's 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 a little it, it's it's a it's it's a different type of relationship, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um it remains to be seen though, what happens next? Yeah. Uh, when they do find out. May maybe it will change the dynamics. But a long way to go. Yeah. Well having said that, not really, isn't he? Only six episodes <laughs> there. <left. laughs>
0: yeah. Um very quickly, uh the fact that um John's real name is Aegon and um Rhaegar already had another son named Aegon, who was one of the children that the mountain killed. That's like either if it was Rhaegar's idea to name this kid Aegon it's like wow you wanted two kids named Aegon if it was Lyanna's idea it's sort of like well that's a little bit tone deaf to name <laughs> name your child after his other dead child uh it's just it's it's a little bit weird that that that's the name that they went with although it is interesting um uh you know book readers know uh no Aegon Targaryen no Aegon Tar- Targaryen comes with some other uh connotations um and finally, uh before we wrap things up, uh the wall comes down. Uh first and foremost are uh Beric and, and Torment, they still alive next season?
1: Yes. Yeah. I'd I- be shocked if they were. Because they're two characters, particularly Tormund that we've followed a lot and if they died in this sort of off screen manner mm-hmm. and no one's even mentioned it, it just I don't I wouldn't like that. But I will say this much, I I don't fancy them surviving long. <laughs> <laughs> they're right in the thick of it. They're right there where the White Walkers are. Um, I don't really know how they're going to – I mean may, maybe the best thing they should do is just wait wait it out, let them all go down, and then sort of you know sneak up behind them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I've watched your, watched your view.
0: Yeah, I, I think they're alive, um, especially Barrick because we spent all that time last week talking about how he has a bigger he thinks he has a bigger purpose and i just can't imagine that his bigger purpose was to die when the wall fell um whether he needs to die so that tormund can escape and get the news to john or or, or something like that maybe I, I i'm with you i don't know if if both will make it uh, will survive uh for for very long next season but i do very much expect next season to start with them alive and well kind of reminds me of a uh, at the end of uh, season five when Theon and Sansa made their escape and it ended with them jumping off the walls of Winterfell and everybody's like, are they alive? And then the, the season six, episode one just picks up with them. Yeah, they're fine. They're, they're all good. We don't even have to see them land. <laughs>
1: didn't uh, have any scars or physical injuries at all. None.
0: Cool. none. Uh, and I, I very much suspect Beric and Torment will be the same way. Uh, but yeah, the wall... Has fallen and the White Walkers and their army and the army of the dead are marching north. The Night King is riding his, uh, zombie dragon. And, uh, yeah.
1: Breathes, doesn't breathe fire, breathes ice.
0: Breathes ice. Yeah. Things are not looking good for Westeros. And, uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out how things go, good or bad. Uh, when season eight debuts, uh, nobody really knows when. But whenever it does, we'll uh, we'll we'll see it. We'll see how things go. But I think uh, that is where we will uh, begin to wrap things up for this week. Uh, before we go, just time for final thoughts and score out of ten on the Dragon and the Wolf, Kieran. Final thoughts, score out of ten.
1: Final thoughts, score out of ten. I'm going to give this one a. I'm going to give it a ten out of ten. Actually, I was very very pleased with this episode. It, it, it went down so many different avenues that I didn't really expect it to. I mean, let, let's be honest, many, many a fan going into this season was expecting a big confrontation between Daenerys and Cersei. And what do we get? We get a little meet up, <laughs> a little chance, <laughs> yeah. so to speak, um, about the threat in the north. That's not really what I was expecting. and I don't think many other fans were. So I sort of like that. We got to focus on the characters, really. This episode, you 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 summed it up well by saying it was like a a classic Game of Thrones episode. Really, we've had a lot of great action set pieces, great visuals, and uh, and everything that goes with that. But I feel like this was a great character episode. Going to obviously have to say that oh, I could have said nine point nine five because Littlefinger's no longer here. But I do I do like the way that story arc has ended, and and actually. I don't think it could have ended much better, really. Um, And you do start to question. You can't just keep characters around because of that fact. What purpose are they going to serve? I feel like his story arc, maybe someone could argue, was wrapped up really at the end of season six. But I don't know. I thought it was still good to have him there uh, around. Um, And then as as well as that, we had, uh, I think yeah you know, the great the great other character moments really as i said earlier were i thought between the Lannisters, i thought the, the Jamie, cersei cersei tyrion stuff again that stuff we hadn't seen in quite a while particularly the cersei tyrion stuff i should say um, and it was quite good to have the sort of family back in that regard even though it was all based around tension and, and uh, potential to murder one another but i thought it was just a great hands down episode and i'm lo- really looking forward to season 8 now um, I I, I just think that when you look at the characters that are still left, it actually makes season eight a lot more interesting. There's still a lot more political intrigue to go because I guess one uh, fan's fear could have been, right, you know, Cersei's gone, Euron's gone, little thing that's gone. Everyone's just going to be united now against the White Walkers, but the two of them are still around, Euron and Cersei, and you've got the whole John Danny stuff now with the political revelations, the incest oh no all seems a lot more complex than i thought it would be so that's why i give it a 10 out of 10 and dominic final thoughts and score out of 10
0: i'm gonna give this one an 8.5 out of 10 uh like i said i really like that they went uh they went at this stuff from the political angle from the people talking to each other angle instead of you know a, a big uh big battle or something there'll be plenty of time for that next season and and i wonder maybe this is uh, a little hint at what's to come maybe season six won't be you know all-out war or something maybe it will be a little bit more uh, a little bit more of political uh maneuvering and, and that sort of thing so i think that could be uh, could be really interesting uh if, if that's the way it winds up going um i really like i said that the the dragon pit stuff was fantastic the uh little finger sansa sansa aria stuff was really good um the uh, the, uh I, the this the conversation between uh bran and sam was was pretty good even if even if sam is uh stealing credit from gilly uh the theon stuff was a little bit weird but it was still well done and i was glad we got it even if it came a, a lot later than we thought it would and uh yeah, I, I, I can't wait to see where things go in Season 8 whenever that may be. So 8.5 out of 10 for the dragon and the wolf for me, uh, that will do it for this episode. We'll be back maybe in about uh, a week and a half to two weeks time to talk about uh, this season as a whole, to check in on the Deadpool and see how uh, how how we uh, how we did, see who won. Uh, I think we'll agree it was a lot less uh, a lot less of a bloody season than we thought there when we thought it would be. There was a lot less death. I think uh, I think we were pre- pre- predicting a lot more uh, a lot more characters to die uh, in in this episode, but uh it all uh all worked out all right it, it all worked out all right for a lot of characters so uh do uh do tune in for that um
1: it means more can die next season Dominic. yes
0: yeah the deadpool next season will be wild uh, in the meantime you can uh follow us on uh on social media we're at watcher westeros on twitter just search, or and search for uh watchers of westeros on facebook uh you can follow me personally i'm at dominic j25 and you can follow kieran he's at c Duggan six uh, and uh don't forget to subscribe and review on itunes if you like the show uh, uh um and if you, if you like the show, do leave us a, a five star re- review. We greatly appreciate those. Uh, we're part of the radio free podcasting network. Uh, go to radiofreepodcasting.com to find uh, all of our past episodes as well as episodes of many other great shows like geek radio amateur pod hollywood and vine the imperial senate and many more that's radiofreepodcasting.com. and you can check out my other podcasts star wars underworld by going to star Warsunderworld.com or searching for star wars underworld on itunes uh, it's a weekly star wars talk show where we discuss all the latest breaking star wars news and uh, with force friday coming up and all of the toys from the last jedi uh you know we're gonna have uh, lots and lots to talk about so star wars underworld.com for that That's it. Like I said, we'll be back maybe a week and a half, two weeks to two weeks time to to look back on the season as a whole. Uh, So uh, we hope you'll join us then. Uh, Thanks for listening and so long for now.
1: It's a wrap.